you've successfully been fished and as part of the payload that's coming in with the attack, they are now gaining access into your network. They get what they can and then they encrypt the network. That's where they hit you with the ransomware. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm here with Andrew Ginter, the Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions, who's going to introduce the subject and the guest of today's show. Andrew, how's it going? It's going very well. Thank you, Nate. Our guest today is James McQuiggan. He is a security awareness advocate at Know Before, and he's going to talk to us about ransomware going nuclear. All right, here's you and James. So, James, thank you for joining us. Before we launch into ransomware and phishing and related topics, can you say a few words about your own background and about who is Know Before? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on the podcast. I've uh, been listening to it for uh, the last year or so, and uh, just really excited to be here and be able to share uh, the information I've got today. So my name is James McQuiggan, and I am a security awareness advocate for Know Before. And uh, Know Before is a company that's been around about 10 years, and their speciality is security awareness, training, and phishing assessments. The company started by Stu Showerman. Uh, he used to have himself a security uh, antivirus company, uh, security company prior to Know Before, and he was selling products and was noticing that people, the companies were still getting infected and realized that the issue was at the human level. And so he started up Know Before and developed a security awareness training program. And over the last 10 years, uh, we've now grown up to over 900 employees. We support over 30,000 organizations uh, and millions of users uh, globally uh, here in the US and the UK, um, Australia, and, and so forth. And so we're real excited that we're able to kind of take on that human element and get people educated and aware of the phishing attacks and the social engineering attacks that are going on through email uh, that end up leading to data breaches. Me personally, uh, it's kind of an interesting path. Uh, I spent 18 years working for Siemens where I was in uh, our energy division doing monitoring of gas turbines. I was responsible for uh, installing and setting up the networks and the computers for those, which ended up leading me to doing VPNs, which led me to network security, which led me to discussions about NERC SIP which really got me integrated. And then uh, from there, I ended up getting into our security division, our corporate security office for North America, where I did ran a security awareness program, uh, really felt a passion for security awareness. Um, and then my last three years that I was at Siemens, I was in our wind division working with our SCADA team, doing product security for them, developing strategy procedures. Uh, when I got the call to see if I was interested to come to know before. So at Know Before, you do a lot of work with phishing and with training. Um, can you talk about your phishing training? I mean, a lot of people say, you know, the the the, the people are the, the the weakest link in the security equation, um, and a lot of it has to do with with phishing attacks. Um, how do you do phishing? In your opinion, what's an, what's the most effective way to do phishing training and awareness? Yeah, with security training, a lot of the times people associate that with having to sit in a conference room or some room and get educated or talked to by the security person in the company. And it's a PowerPoint presentation and maybe, you know, some snacks and drinks that go along with it. But with Know Before, one of the things we focus on is a new school type of training where it's engaging, there's gamification. It's not just click, click, click next or sorry, not, it's not just clicking next, 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 and then finish. It's all about engaging the employee so that they're being aware of it. But the way that it starts is we set a baseline. And that baseline is we do a phishing test of the employees right away. And what we're doing and what we're measuring for is what we call our fish prone percentage. And that PPP uh, allows us to gauge the amount of knowledge that an organization has when it comes to social engineering attacks. Now, within the energy utilities manufacturing space, we about 
11% of our, our supported organizations are those type of companies. So when we, of the assessments that we've done, when we look at across small, medium, and large uh, businesses in those two, the average fish prone percentage is about 38%. So when you think about that, that's almost one in five people. Uh, one in three people almost, uh, where that you could have a phishing attack sent in and they would click on the link because they just don't have that education and awareness. We tend, once we go through and do the determination of the fish prone percentage, then we do the education. And that's where the new school training comes in. People get educated. Uh, and then once that's done over the period of three months to a year, uh, we're continuing to fish the employees or the organization uh, that has the service continues to fish their employees because it's all handled by their IT department or whoever's handling it. And after about 90 days, we've seen the numbers go from about 38% average down to about 14%. So now it cuts it almost in half. So now you're really reducing your risk that you're exposed to with your organization. Uh, continuing that throughout the year when you're fishing your employees, and it's not something that you want to do once a month or once a quarter. This is something you want to actively be doing because the criminal groups that are out there are actively doing it as well. After about a year, we've seen that the percentages get down to about 4 or 5%. So it, 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 it cuts the number down, the risk down dramatically uh, for your organization and being able to protect it. So that way you're less likely of being uh, having a successful fish done against you. You know, in, we know in the security industry, there's not a silver bullet. It's not 100% secure. You know, your technology is going to take you so far. The human element, your human firewall, if you want to call it, the eighth layer of your OSI model, uh, but that human element can be the best part of it to protect your network and the organization uh, overall. Andrew, a couple questions off the bat. Um, I'm curious about these these figures that James is referencing. So, according to James, around 38% of people fall for phishing emails off the bat on average. Fine. That, that number makes sense to me. But of course, I wonder what the kinds of emails they're using to test the people that they're that are in their studies. Um, because of course, not all phishing emails are equivalent, right? If I get a, an email, and it has a bunch of typos, and the Google logo is, is poorly photoshopped, then I'm going to notice it. But of course, there are other Google phishing emails that if I got them, even with, you know, what limited security knowledge I have, uh, I would probably fall for it. Um, do you know what kinds of uh, samples they're using and how they come to these numbers? Uh, short answer is no. I did not ask him that question. What kind of samples does he use for the numbers? He does give examples later on of some of the uh, the, the real phishing attacks they run into and, you know, some of the, the, the stuff they use in their, in their training. But he didn't specifically tell me which ones are, are used for the numbers. But you gave an example of, you know, a very poorly crafted phishing email. Um, he's got some examples of some very sophisticated phishing emails. Um, in my understanding, and again, we didn't discuss this. This is from my personal experience. In my understanding, um, when you see the really poorly crafted phishing emails, I thought that I read somewhere that, you know, the theory was that they were done this badly for a reason. There's a reason that the Nigerian prince email always mentions Nigeria. It's because they're trying to solicit response from people who are completely and utterly naive about that kind of attack. And so they use the Nigerian prince, literally, because anyone who has any kind of clue knows it's a spam, uh, it's a scam. And anybody who falls for it, you know, they know they've got one on the hook that, that has never heard of any of this. Right. That's a good point. In that case, I'm actually quite surprised that 38% is so low because I've seen phishing emails, you know, just in news stories where I thought, you know, I could easily fall for a lot of these. But regardless, um, I do have one more question for you, uh, which is the other figure that James mentioned is 14%. So after they, the students of his tr program finish their training, um, they're only opening uh, phishing emails at a rate of 14%. But of course, if I just finished uh, phishing training, then I'm going to be hyper aware of emails that come into me, right? 
um, what happens to these students of the program um, six months, two years down the line when they learned everything they have to learn, but you know, you're not necessarily, it's not in your brain. You're just flicking through your emails and, and maybe you have all the tools, but you're not thinking about it as much. I wonder if this number starts to creep back up. You might have missed, uh, there was another number he said, and that number was 4%. He said after a year, they repeat the test and the number of failures is 4%, not 14%, not 38%. So after 12 months, it's still effective. And he does give some examples later on in the interview about techniques that they use or that you know they teach organizations to use to keep the, uh, to keep this, this threat and to keep this knowledge fresh in their mind. This is the, the Industrial Security Podcast, and our topic is ransomware. But we've been talking about phishing. Can you connect the dots here? How is, how is this relevant to ransomware in the industrial environment? Your organizations that are out there, you have your employees that are sitting in front of HMI systems and control systems and or remotely accessing your ICS or your SCADA systems. And a lot of the time, they're sitting on their corporate IT-provided machines that are then getting connected, whatever that method is, to that industrial control system. Well, they also have their email on there. And the way that the criminals work is they will send a phishing email. And they want you to click on a link or open an attachment, which can launch some type of malicious code onto your system, because what they're trying to do is bypass the firewalls. You know, technology nowadays has gotten really, really uh, well configured that it makes it difficult for them to, you know, try and attack at the front door, so to speak, with the firewalls. You know, they may try and attack a website and try and gain in that way. But the one thing that criminals have found is the easiest way to get in is to go right to the human aspect of this. And so they will send a phishing email and it could be if they've done their reconnaissance, they've done their work about the organization, they will look to see who's the head of HR or they'll look to see you know, who the CEO is. They'll find some pertinent information relating to the company and then send an email in to the employees. And it's not hard for them to go out and find email addresses. There are plenty of tools and ways to go find uh, email addresses of people that work at a particular company. And they'll create a phishing email specifically crafted for that organization. And the easiest thing is you relate it to money. So it could be an email about benefits. You know, the head of HR is sending out the new policy. Click on the link to be able to open up the, the new PDF that outlines the new policy that benefits are dropping 20%. You know, something where the employee goes from seeing it and reacting and not taking through, going through the process, taking the minute, you know, orient yourself with the email, look at it, check to see if it's real. There's a link to something within your organization because you will have most likely uh, clicked on links already that relate to your organization. Or if it's a PDF and it's an attachment, you know, is this something that you were expecting? Is this something that something has already been announced through management that, hey, there's a new policy? No, they've just blindly sent an email. The employee is reacting going, oh my gosh, my benefits are changing and they're going ahead and clicking on the link. The criminals are relying on that aspect of somebody just clicking on the link and off they go. But what ends up happening from that is from those phishing attacks and 91, yeah, but 91% of the data breaches that occur, occur because of a phishing attack, a successful social engineering attack that way. Well, to add on to that now, what you get is you've successfully been phished. And as part of the payload that's coming in with the attack, they are now gaining access into your network. And then they're either stealing information, figuring out what's going on in the network. Uh, they get what they can, and then they encrypt the network. They encrypt the data files that they're able to gain access to. And they hit. that's where they hit you with the ransomware. So ransomware used to be just something that it would be a hit and run. Honestly, it would be something where you would, you'd come into work one day and boom, all your files would be encrypted. They'd have the note, need to send us some Bitcoin. Nowadays, they're kind of taking it to the next step. They're breaching into the network. They're creating themselves accounts. They're collecting up as much information as they can, figuring out what all the different systems are on the network, and then encrypting the data and leaving. And some, some of the criminal groups that are out there are now actually holding your data for ransom which kind of takes it to the, the next level because now 
it's not just a matter of pay us or get we just won't give you your data back. If you don't pay us, we're going to leak your data. We're going to post it online, wherever and whatever, whatever site, uh, make it publicly available. And if any of that information is strategy or intellectual property, then that causes a damage to the organization's reputation and you know other circumstances that could come out of that afterward. I heard you talking about ransomware. It sounded like uh, some of what you were talking about was targeted ransomware, where there's there's people behind the attack sort of continuously as opposed to you know uh the the more indiscriminate um here let me you know encrypt whatever i can um automatically um do you see are you seeing both kinds of of attack out there what you know what what are you seeing with with ransomware yeah so right now with ransomware i mean we're even seeing it not only in all it's across all industries, no matter no matter what vertical you're in, whether it's health healthcare, we've been seeing a lot of different a- attacks there. Uh, but also within the industry, we're seeing it hit oil and gas. Uh, we had an incident last uh, earlier. Sorry, we had an incident earlier this week where a specific oil and gas companies were targeted with spear phishing, and I actually got to see some of the emails that were used, and they were very well crafted. Uh, specifically relating to information that was actually happening because it was relating to shipping information and uh, a ship coming into a port. And it was relating to an organization that was expecting uh, materials coming over on these ships and it was requesting a form to be filled out. And they had very craftedly uh, put these PDFs together and and the end users uh, would have to open it up to have a look at the form they would have to fill up. There was another one where it was uh, it was relating to uh, an RFP request for proposal. They they sent them a now they sent them a zip files. It was two zip files that they sent them. And for me, that would be a red flag. Uh, when you when you start getting emails now, whether that's how it works in the industry for the RFPs, they send you a zip file with the Word doc. You know, for me that would be a leery. But red flags are is going to be what helps you get your vigilance with regards to these type of phishing attacks. But the uh, we even saw a company, uh, energy company recently, they were hit by uh, the Ragnar uh, group, and they aren't cheap. They're hitting you up for twenty five Bitcoin. Uh, to decrypt your your systems. Now, a lot of the time, these criminal groups, they're just out for the buck. Uh, unless they're specifically targeting specific indri- industries to get data. But basically, they're just looking to get paid. Now, with 25 Bitcoin, that's that's some serious money. Uh, a lot of the time, they may come in and, and you may be able to reach out to them because they give you an email address. It is a, an anonymous encrypted email where you can reach out to them and you can practically negotiate a lower rate. Like I said, they're just looking to uh, out, get out there and get paid. So the with regards to phishing and spear phishing and ransomware, there it's all different kinds. It just depends on the type of criminal group that's out there. But right now we are seeing more ransomware that's getting extremely targeted with spear phishing attacks. And folks just need to make sure they're aware of those emails and question it. Uh, like I said, within No Before, we are fished internally as an organization by our own IT group several times a week. Um, and it has made me a little more hypervigilant on emails. When an email comes in and I look at it and I go, I've never had this kind of an email before. Uh, why am I getting this? Uh, my second day working at, at No Before, I got an email that said I had someone had logged into my uh, Gmail account in India. And I turned to a coworker that was in a room with me and I said, I don't believe it. I'm day two on this job and somebody's already got our no before email address. What the heck happened? And it was in that moment when I said that out loud, I went, oh, hang on a second. And of course, when I hovered over the link, it was something that was not uh, a no before address. It wasn't any of the uh, 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 third party companies we were working with. So I knew that the link uh, was was false. And we have an alert capability that I can send it into our IT saying, hey, this is a phishing email. And lo and behold, it, it had been a, a phishing email. But if I hadn't have taken that moment to kind of stop and think and mention it to my coworker, uh, I might have clicked on it. Uh, I, I honestly can't say, but um, taking that moment to be able to think and remember, hey, uh, is this really real? 
uh, is what can help you from getting hit with a data breach. A word from our sponsor. Waterfall Security Solutions is the OT security company. At Waterfall, we see a lot of industrial sites struggling with very sophisticated ransomware attacks. These attacks use powerful tools and techniques that only five years ago, only nation states were using. To defeat these attacks reliably, we need a practical and future-proof approach to security. The most widely used such approach is documented in a new book, Secure Operations Technology. The book documents the surprisingly simple security measures that are used by the world's most secure and most efficient industrial sites. As a public service, Waterfall Security Solutions is providing free copies of the SecOT book to security practitioners while supplies last. To request your free copy of the book, please visit waterfall-security.com and look for the book under the resources menu. So a lot of what James said there was pretty interesting to me, but I just want to give some context because the sound of 25 Bitcoins, it may not sound like a lot if you don't know how much one Bitcoin costs, but uh, for context, over the past you know six months or so, it's been hovering around eight, seven, eight, nine thousand. Um, so when we talk about 25, 000, 25 Bitcoins, rather, um, we're really talking about over $200,000. So I just wanted to make that clear. Um, Andrew... It's interesting. Uh, a lot of what James has just said recalls a discussion we had in Ofer Shaked's episode a few weeks back about how hackers, particularly um, ransomware hackers, are really operating businesses, cybercrime businesses. That's right. Um, you know, Ofer was talking about um, the same thing as as uh, James is talking about here in terms of the the bad guys not just encrypting your data and you know charging you money to get it back but you know sort of doing double duty encrypting your data and saying pay us and you'll get your data back and we won't post it so this this uh, stealing the data along with the encryption is sort of the 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 latest evolution in targeted ransomware Right. And the one other thing I wanted to mention that really stood out to me as a good idea is the fact that no before the IT team actively and frequently um, fishes their own employees. That seems like a great idea to me to keep up awareness. Although I throw in one caveat, which is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, James said they do it, you know, maybe like twice a week. Um, I'm actually thinking that if you do red team phishing so frequently then if a real phishing attack does come in, wouldn't you start to maybe think that it might just be your own IT team after a while? Like I said, um, later on in the show, um, uh, James has got some ideas on how to keep sort of this stuff current in your mind. Um, but uh, I, I don't know about you. I mean, I get about you know between two and five phishing emails a week. And so another two from the IT team, you know, I wouldn't know which is which. I wouldn't dare click on any of them. You get two to five a week from where? From all over. People saying, you know, click, you know, open this zip file. People with, you know, a link from LinkedIn saying it's from LinkedIn. There's a, you got a message on LinkedIn and you mouse over it and it's not LinkedIn. It's something else. I get, I get these things all the time. Oh my goodness. I've gotten like, I get one phishing email every like, I don't know, three, four months. Unless I'm just falling for all of them, in which case I'm really screwed. Yeah, l lucky guy. What I wanted to add, though, was you know on the on the the topic of targeted attacks. You know, the latest development in in ransomware is targeted, and now data theft along with the targeted encryption. Um, these targeted attacks, in in my estimation, um, I just you know want to observe that. Look at five years ago. Five years ago. Um, the the government authorities were out there saying, "Be careful of the nation states. The nation states are doing really nasty stuff to you. You got to you know increase your defenses." Blah blah blah. And a lot of the industry looked around and said, "Nation states, who's going to come after me? I don't have to worry about that caliber of attack." Yet, what they were doing, the nation states, five years ago, is what we're seeing the targeted ransomware do today. So. You know, to me, one of the lessons here that James didn't say, but, you know, to me, one of the lessons here is, is, you know, eyes high, folks, look up. 
because whatever the nation states are doing to you know their targets today, whoever they are, that's in all of our future in five years. So we're talking about phishing, but really on industrial networks, is phishing a threat? Because I'm not aware of really any industrial network, any industrial network other than the truly least you know, least protected networks where it's even possible to pull email into the industrial network. So, you know, spell this out for me. Yeah, definitely. I, and I agree with you. I, I think if there were industrial control systems that had email on there, I'd be uh, extremely leery. I remember back in my days at Siemens, uh, that was always the conversation with our customers. They were saying, you're not allowed to have email. And it was, well, we don't have email on our industrial control systems. And there's a reason for that is because it's not needed. But the concern with phishing is if you get hit with a phishing attack and and the criminal groups are able to gain access into your system and they leverage that and they're getting into your system and they're now working their way around the network and they're looking for what's there. If they're extremely persistent and they hit you with a spear phishing attack, they know what kind of company you are. If you're like a utility organization, then they know that there's going to be some type of SCADA network. Now with our SCADA networks, we know or we hope that organizations have them set up as with defense in depth. They've got it multi-layered. So to get to your SCADA network, you've got to go through a DMZ. And with that, you're going to have, I would hope, uh, especially from the NERC-SIP standards, you're going to have some sort of multi-factor authentication. You're going to have some additional level of authentication. So it's just not a username and password. Because if it's just username and password and they've installed a keylogger, that's not being detected, then they're collecting all that information and now they're able to gain access into the, excuse me, uh, they're now able to gain access into the control system. All because you had clicked on a link on your IT system and now you're connecting to your industrial control system from your desktop. Uh, usually, at least in my experience, back in my ICS days, it was always good to have a jump host. You know, that intermediary device that was used for interactive access. And so if you have multi-factor authentication on that intermediary device, then it makes it very difficult for the criminals because now they have to work their way around the network, get access to an active directory server or something that's going to provide them that in identity access control for that server, get a part of that group, and then figure out what the method of two-factor authentication is. Does it happen? Possibly. Uh, we've I've seen... Uh, with a variety of different uh, data resources uh, of collecting of uh, attacks against control systems. Uh, I think back in 2018, there was about 35. These were targeted attacks or malware attacks that, that um, either worked their way onto IT systems or some of them, um, but a lot of them had been susceptible to phishing attacks. Uh, there was even recently we had a an organization, a supply chain company, and and sometimes that's how we see the criminal groups are doing. They're going through supply chain companies, get into the smaller ones because they know the big companies have large IT and security groups, and so they're it's harder to get into those even with phishing. So they'll go after the smaller fish that and work their way up. But so far this year, uh, here in 2020, in the first four months, there's already been. Oh, I think there's no, sorry. There was 45 total in 2018. There's been 37, 38 now with the oil and gas one this week, uh, so far that are specific tax. So, you know, we're all, we're way past halfway and we're not even at the halfway point of the year. So I have a feeling we're going to, we're getting a lot more of the attacks that are coming in. Uh, they're figuring their ways in through the phishing attacks, getting around on the network. Um, and, um, I hope that you know they don't eventually work their way in, but it could be susceptible if organizations don't have, you know, the proper security awareness training, don't have the um, phishing awareness for their employees. Um, but if they can have that two-factor authentication, that helps them get, prevents them from getting into the control system. Uh, but who knows what they may end up doing on your own IT network? What James just referred to is an instance where a ransomware attack can go from your operating desktop into the industrial machines. But Andrew, shouldn't it be the case that we already have safeguards against IT level threats entering the OT level systems? Uh, short answer is yes. Uh, the long answer is that you know the the targeted attacks these people are using nowadays 
breach uh, most of the, the, the defenses that most of the sites have deployed. So, you know, uh, for example, he, he talked about uh, multi-factor authentication. He talked about jump hosts. That's sort of going in the front door. That's going through a remote desktop with a stolen password. Um, but, you know, there's other ways in. So, for example, a very common use case is we have uh, workstations on the IT network that need access to historical data from operations so they can, you know, the engineers can run efficiency models and, and so on. Um, that means you've got to be able to log into the historian. The historian, in turn, is connected to the control devices to gather the data. And so there's an indirect path. Now, um, you know, generally, a, a historian user can't log in and control devices. That's generally not how historians work, though there's exceptions to every rule. But, for example... Um, you might steal a password. You might steal the administrator password for the historian, and or you know go into the Active Directory server and you know make yourself an administrator with a, a stolen Active Directory password. Um, now the administrator can log into the historian and can change the configuration of the historian. In particular, can change let's say when the historian runs batch jobs to help analyze the data. Run a batch job that's a file transfer from the IT network, pulling malware, now run another batch job that is the malware. Now you've infected the historian. You've got you know, another step deeper into the architecture. And they do this. So this is, you know, there's, there's ways through these defenses once you've got a foothold somewhere, I think is the lesson. There's different kinds of phishing attacks. Um, you know, there's phishing attacks where you steal passwords. There's phishing attacks where you 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 drop malware. Um, but a lot of people, you know, take the the example of the Ukraine attack uh, a couple of years ago. Um, a lot of people hold up two-factor authentication as the way and the truth. If only if only those foolish utilities had deployed two-factor authentication, then all would be well. Nobody could possibly have broken into them. Is that true? I mean, is two-factor that good? I think you're, well, two-factor authentication for me and the way I look at it is it's your authentication. You know, if your your email address, uh, you're getting phishing emails coming in, you've already logged in and, and authenticated. Your email's coming in through your email server. Your two-factor authentication more or less is going to protect your critical system. So whether it's an industrial control system, SCADA, whether it's, you know, the crown jewels of your organization, if you're a manufacturer and you've got specific intellectual property sitting on your corporate servers, you want to make sure that you're being able to protect those. And one way to do that, rather than just the bad guys getting in on one system through a phishing attack, stealing passwords, and then gaining access and, and exfiltrating the data when you've got that intellectual property, you want to make sure that you are protecting it with the, the 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 most highest levels of security. So if it's two-factor authentication and it's you know username, password, and then it's an authenticator code coming in on an authenticator app, uh, that's going to protect your data, uh, but your your email is still going to be susceptible. Um, you can have two-factor authentication to log in. But if you, as long as you click on that link, or if somebody does click a link or open an attachment that drops the malware, um, that's automatically connecting back to the bad guys, and that happens very, very quickly within seconds. Um, and usually, what ends up happening is if they open up the the click the link, well, that's automatically connecting to the bad guy servers, and they're turning around because you've essentially opened up that front door. Uh, when it comes to those attacks. I like to equate it as, you know, you've got your home, you've got a security system at your home, you've got cameras, you've got lights, you've got a beware of dog sign in your front window, even though you own three cats. Um, you have all of that, but if somebody rings the doorbell and you go and open up the front door, you've now in essence bypassed all the security and then allowing the, the person to essentially come in the front door. The same thing applies here with the email. If you click on that link or you open up that attachment and it installs malware, it's in essence, you've opened up that front door and dropped all your uh, security settings that you've got for your corporate environment. Interesting thing though about MFA, uh, I have a colleague uh, at Know Before, he's written a book or he's writing a book uh, that's called 50 Ways to Defeat MFA. So while MFA is great in its own capabilities and restricting 
uh, access. There are ways, just like anything else that we have with technology and security, there are ways that it can be bypassed. Coming back to it, to industrial sites, you know, so, you know, phishing is important. It, it's a way to, to get into the IT network and from there propagate. Um, when we talk about uh, industrial enterprises, um, how do you engage people? You know, people are worried about keeping the lights on. How do you, how do you relate that to security? Yeah, change in behavior is tricky. You know, when it comes to human nature, you you don't want to fight it because you pretty well lose every time. Uh, you know, I always remember, you know, growing up as a kid, you would walk to the end of the road. Uh, you would look, uh, you'd get to the road, you'd look to the right, you'd look to the left. Uh, you would want to make sure that there weren't any cars coming because you don't want to get, you know, killed as you cross the street. That's a behavior. With training, training is something you're you're taught in a classroom environment or you're educated, you take an assessment, congratulations, you passed. But behavior is something that's ingrained with you. It's a part of your culture. That's one of the factors that come into play as well. Uh, what you're dealing with is that awareness uh, where people are caring enough that, that they're wanting to act. You know, just because they know doesn't mean they may not care, but you want to make sure that there is that uh, aware and awareness with the employees that they do care enough that they're going to act, that they're going to take the actions to protect the organization. You know, I, I also, in my time working at Siemens, you know, I visited many, many plant power plants. Um, and one of the things that I always noticed was every time I went to the site, sit down in the conference room and have a training video. And at the end of the training video, you got your sticker, you'd been trained, you could go out into work out in the plant area. For me, I always wondered how interesting would it be is if they added some type of security element to there, you know, with regards to a phishing email or password security, uh, but some tip that added along and then went along with that as well. Because if it's constantly being reinforced and it's not something where it's 30 minutes, it's something that's two minutes um, and repeated, I, I have a very strong feeling that that would be something that would carry a lot l further and along the way than it would be if you would, you know, have to make them do quarterly training. Annual training is a given, you know, we know that from NERC SIP, uh, but even still in the corporate environment, having some type of annual training is good, but being able to refresh it and remind people, uh, keeping it at the forefront of their mind, you know, it could even be, hey, this is the latest type of phishing attacks we've been seeing coming through. They're targeting us you know, uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, you see that in, you know, different shift changes in different organizations and in industries as well. So if you can get that at the forefront, you can get it repetitive. Um, that really helps as well. From a, another aspect with the gamification, you can also have a competition within the organization. Uh, and I have a friend of mine who's a security officer at a particular company and he did that. He basically said, all right, whoever gets catches the most fishes in a month, we're going to put your name on a poster and the top person gets a gift card. Well, he would have people coming by his office weekly saying, Hey, where am I? Am I on the, po am I on the list? Where do I, where do I rank? When's the poster going up? They were more curious and more interested in knowing that they were going to be on the top 10 list and where they would be on that list. Because for that, it's, hitting at the ego. It's uh, people are more curious. They see that name. It's like, Oh, there's me. And they're real excited about that. So that was another way that he was able to drive home that fishing alertness, that increasing that percentage. So that way uh, folks were more vigilant and wanting to see that name on the poster. So it helped drive it home as well. So Nate, I've been thinking 4% of, you know, Clicking on 4% of, of phishing attacks is 10 times better than clicking on 40% or 38% of, uh, of these attacks, but it's still not zero. And so, you know, one of the lessons I think is that we still need strong industrial security protection um, if we want production to continue, even if something gets loose on the IT network. But it's worse than that. Um, you know, I can recall that there have been cases where IT networks were compromised by ransomware and it led to plants shutting down. So Norsk Hydro uh, has a lot of plants and they shut down like a handful of them, five-ish of them, uh, because they weren't confident of the industrial security protections. They thought something might have got through. 
So, um, you know, if you have a lot of plants and you've got a particular threat, you might look at your security posture and say, I can be pretty confident of these 98% of my plants, but I got a couple here. So you might still suffer the occasional shutdown. Maersk, for example, was the big shipping giant. They ship something like 20% of the world's containers. Um, they were shut down for a couple of days by NotPetya. It only affected IT networks. It did not affect the control networks on the ships. It did not affect the control networks for the uh, the cranes in the ports. It affected IT networks. And when the ships came into port, they had to park themselves. They couldn't get unloaded because if they got unloaded, the IT systems that were supposed to get the the inventory, the whatever, the, the list of, of who owns each of these containers, those IT systems were dead. And so it wasn't possible to distribute the containers to the trucks that were lining up so that the right customers, the right trucks for the right customers got the right containers. The whole thing was crippled because an IT system wasn't working. And there's a third case. Um, You know, a couple of ransomware attacks have struck um, parts suppliers. Um, so there was ASCO produces aircraft parts, uh, Gedia produces automobile parts. These these uh, businesses did not say um, why they shut down production when their IT networks were hit by uh, by ransomware. But you know, I can speculate. In a lot of these industries, there's this thing called just in time ordering, just in time production. You produce when your customer needs this stuff. What tells the plant that, you know, one of your 75 customers needs more of, you know, one of the 700 parts that you produce for that customer? It's the IT systems. If those IT systems are down, I imagine that the plants might have to be idled because they can't tell what to produce anymore. So, you know, I think the the lesson here is that, uh, you know, preventing ransomware, preventing compromise of IT networks in industrial enterprises um, can be very important, not just to the business, but to, you know, keeping operations up as well. You, you can't run operations in a lot of these businesses unless certain kinds of, of IT, IT systems are also running. So you talked about links uh, in in your in your answer there. Um, a lot of the the phishing discussion has been here, you know, talking about links. Can I dive into detail on that for just a second? Um, you know, for security professionals, you know, even we can be fooled sometimes. But um, you know, we can kind of we can kind of figure this stuff out. For mere mortals who have to, you know, do other things than security all day long with their day. Is it reasonable to ask, you know, normal people to distinguish between, let's say, a link that says, check your password dot your company dot com versus, you know, a link that says your company dot check your password dot com? Because the one is, you know, inside your company, the other one is not. Is it reasonable to ask people to look at DNS names and links and actually figure this stuff out? Is, is this, does this work? Yeah. When you get the DNS address in that email and you're hovering over and you're looking at the link, sometimes you don't get to see the whole link. But one of the things that we do have the training on is to go through at a basic level um, with regards to it. You know, like you said, with your dot your company, you know, if it's check your password dot your company dot com, we know that that's a, a an address from within your organization because of the training we've had, and whatever comes before that dot com is you know is what your address is. Versus the other example of of your company dot check your password dot com because we know it check your password. But there's there is training given, and you want to educate them on how to look at a web address and and understand it. You know, if you're getting an email that says from your company that says, hey, you need to change your password, it's expired, and you hover over it, the other thing you could probably do is, okay, if my password is expired or is expiring, then I'm going to go through the application that we that we would have or through my Windows or Mac or whatever operating system and change your password that way. If it's for a website, you know, the education or the information is, well, then go visit that website and change the account in there. If you're unsure, then that's the, the path that you want to take. If you know that your password is expiring 
and you're you look at the link and you think it's safe, you know, it's nothing wrong to say to a colleague or somebody else that you work with, hey, does this look right to you? Have you gotten these kind of links before? Most likely, uh, and unfortunately, in today's curtain, curtain, current climate, uh, it's difficult uh, to be able to talk to your coworker because we've all been working from home. But um, if you're unsure and the organization has a way to be able to report the phishing emails, then report it. You know, after the training, you kind of start to get a bit of a sixth sense that, you know, if an email comes in, you're not expecting it or the link doesn't look right, um, then, you know, then send it in. But the criminals are actually getting a lot more crafty with the DNS entries because they will use characters from other languages, whether it's Cyrillic or Latin or whatever within the system. Uh, and then they register the domain name. So if it's your company and yourcompany.com, and they've gone in and registered Y-O-U and the U has two little dots above it. Um, th- a lot of the time people may not recognize it. They'll see that it says, oh, your company. Well, that's us. Okay, all right. And they click the link. Um, a lot of the time it's a matter of, of questioning the link. Are you expecting the email? You know, Did you just change your password last month and you know that it's not done for every 90 days? You know, that, That's for that example. Um, do you question every single email? The more and more you do something, the better and quicker you get at it. And I think with regards to emails that you're getting in all the time, you kind of get that sense of, okay, am I expecting this email? It's asking me to open up an attachment regarding benefits. Management usually lets us know. If you have an organization where your management doesn't let you know and you're not sure, then, you know, again, is it something you you check with a colleague? Hey, did you get the email about the benefits changed? You know, it's taking that moment and and thinking about, that email and those red flags to make sure that uh, you're not opening up, you know, a potential dangerous email. Again, if all else fails and you've got an alert system, send it into your your IT team and they can let you know. Um, and if it's something where you're sending in every single email, well, then I'm sure there'll probably be some more training that may come back just to provide that additional uh, understanding uh, for the for the employees so that they're either not flooding IT, but then, then they have that confidence and that knowledge and understanding of, you know, when you hover that link, can you tell that for the most part, it's a real or not real link? So essentially, yes, people can be able to spot the the links uh, because with the training that they get uh, and with the research that we've done, you know, we're going from that high 38 percentage, uh, cutting it in half down to 14 and then down to 4%. So people are able to to spot and gain that sixth sense essentially that, you know, when an email comes in, there's something really weird about it. Yeah, no, I'm not going to take any action with it. So this has been great, James. We like to leave our guests with the last word. Is there a thought you'd like to leave with our listeners? Yeah, I guess final thoughts uh, would be that, you know, the, the bad guys that are out there, they're constantly trying to gain access and the phishing attacks uh, along with the ransomware attacks are getting more and more successful and I think it's important that, you know, people have that training and that awareness with regards to these types of attacks, not only in their, you know, in their work environment, but at home as well, uh, because you're then become susceptible to identity theft. And, and that's something we really don't, we don't want to um, have to deal with. Um, but, you know, when you're getting those emails, you know, being able to sit there and, and ask yourself, you know, is it too good to be true? It, am I expecting this kind of email? Is this something, uh, you know, the the FedEx the ship, shipment that I've got, you know, I, you're if you're not expecting a FedEx shipment, then don't open the email because most likely that's the phishing attack. You know, if it's something where they're trying to send you money, a large amount of money, but you've got to send them some money first, you know, that's usually not, uh, you know, a good indicator. But nowadays, uh, in today's climate with regards to, you know, recently tax season with the stimulus checks, you know, there's going to be a lot of different phishing attacks that are out there. And so we just have to remain vigilant with regards to those emails. It's okay to question them. It's okay to reach back out to the person and go, hey, did you mean to send me this email at three in the morning? Um, you know, by having that kind of sixth sense awareness with, with regards to your email uh, can certainly reduce the the type of attacks that are coming into not only your organization, but also uh, for your home as well. And uh, at our Know Before website, we have a slew of different resources that are available. 
you know, we even have it so that you can go in and order your own fishing test if you're not using no before or any type of fishing assessments and, and training. You can go out and uh, try the fishing assessment uh, for up to 100 users. That's free. You can go out to the website and sign up and get that. We have a, a series of white papers. If you do and unfortunately get hit with ransomware, we have a white paper all about the ransomware hostage manual. I've presented on the topic several times, but it's got a lot of great information about what's really needed to um, be able to take care of your organization after a ransomware attack. So you're in the blogs that we have out there as well. Um, but knowbefore.com, I encourage you to go check it out if you want to learn more about training awareness and phishing assessments. So Andrew, the man of uh, two to five spam emails a week, what can you leave us with so that I and our listeners can be more aware of phishing emails that come our way? Well, let me leave you with a, a personal example. Um, and this, the, the one that sticks in my mind is not you know, a recent one. The one that sticks in my mind is actually from 10 years ago. And I remember getting email on my personal email account from my home internet service provider. You know, it was uh, support at internetserviceprovider.com was the return address. And the email said, there's a virus loose on the network. It's a really nasty one. Um, you need to uh, check if you've been infected. Don't worry. If you've been infected, we can get rid of it. Uh, you know, click on the attached antivirus program. And there was a, an executable attached, you know, viruschecker.exe. And I kid you not, I picked up the phone and I called the support line for the, the internet service provider and I reamed them out saying, what's wrong with you people? You're sending executables to your customers. You're teaching your customers to click on executable files that people email them. This is the wrong thing to be doing. And I'm ranting on about this. And the support rep is going, excuse me, excuse me, sir, sir. And I go, what, what? And he says, that wasn't ours. And I'm going, oh, thank you. Click. So, you know, I did not open it, but I was convinced it was the real thing. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't take that much to, uh, to <clears throat> what's the right word? To be fooled, you know. And, uh, you know, I was in the industry even back then. I should have known better. So, uh, yeah, it's it's important to 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 be aware of this stuff and and uh, you know have mechanisms in place to to deal with it. Well, then with that, uh, thanks to James McQuiggan for speaking with you, Andrew. And as always, Andrew, thank you for speaking with me. Uh, my pleasure, Nate. We'll catch you next time. This has been the Industrial Security Podcast from Waterfall. Thanks to everybody listening. <laughs>